Welcome to What Would You Say You Do Here? I'm Katie Sally. And I'm Aaron Zerlip. And this is Season 2, Episode 10. And today we have with us... Hi, I'm Chris Heisel. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. It's great to see you guys. Yeah, you too. It's been a while. So Katie and I both worked with Chris uh, a few jobs back uh, at a company called Pindrop. Uh, And Chris, you were an engineering manager there? I was, yeah. I was leading an engineering team on our, like, I don't know what we were called, our cloud team there. Yeah. Got it. And, and you know, at, a couple of years later, and now uh, Chris joins us as uh, a group platform product manager. I don't know what the official uh, <laughs> term is or title, but yeah, now I work with Chris uh, at Square and uh, have the, the fortune of getting to work with him uh, frequently. Yeah, I, we're, we're, we're always in docs and meetings and slacks together. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a group product manager for um, payment acceptance at Square, working on the, on, the platform team, on the payment platform there. Nice. Well, I was looking at your LinkedIn, and uh, one of my favorite questions to ask uh, anyone in product is, how did you get into this? And your LinkedIn is fascinating. So you went from journalism to be a web developer, then a project manager, head of engineering, and now you're a platform product manager. How did that happen? Yes. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> uh, yes, I feel like I feel like many product managers. I have like the like twisty, windy career path. I mean, like nobody yeah. like is like no no kids like when they grow up. I want to be a product manager, mom. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh no, honey, no, 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 no. Do something honest, like be a doctor. You know, nobody's you know. So uh, maybe one day. <laughs> I'm te- I'm teaching my um, kids to be a to be a product manager when they grow up. Don't worry. Nice. <laughs> they bring you spreadsheets and they're like, I've <laughs> I've calculated the ROI of my chores, Dad. And you know, yeah. It would be better if I went outside and played. <laughs> um. No. So yeah, it was. Uh, I I had uh, I went to school for journalism. Uh, go go Missouri Tigers. And I uh, spent. Um, so journalism was my passion. Uh, it was my degree. I got a degree in um, uh, news editing and design. So I can actually lay out a printed newspaper. I can write headlines and copy edit articles, although I'm very bad at editing my own work. Everyone needs, uh, their, everyone needs an editor. Is. Even editors need editors. So. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, but, I, but computers and programming are always my like hobby. Like I, I learned to write, html by like this is how old i am netscape navigator was my browser your bookmarks were stored in an html file and i learned html by like poking around at that and like turning that into my first home page and then uploading it to a web server and anyway so uh i took a couple engineering courses in college um and my first internship was at the indianapolis star where it was like half um writing and editing i was like doing cops and courts beat um there used to be a byline floating somewhere around there but like i I wrote an article about like some crime in downtown indianapolis uh and then and then also like producing their website so it was like half learning about content management and half um writing and editing um and so when i left school i sent out half my resumes to print and half my resumes to online. And uh, this is in 2003, which was just a fantastic time to try and find a job in journalism. Narrator, it was not. Uh, and um, in in very digital fashion, uh, on, my, on my web log, which is what we called it at the time, I had a 
blog roll, which was like the list of the blogs that you you enjoyed reading. Uh, I linked off to my friend's blog and my friend, uh, Adrian Holovati, who had worked at the AJC, had my blog in his blog role. And someone at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had a, a link to my blog there. And long story short, someone there saw that I posted on my blog that I was looking for a job. And they're like, this guy knows journalism. He knows computers. We're looking for someone to come in and like help us build out a, a paid a paid sports product. So they needed someone who could help them build a website, do paid content management, and also had some semblance of knowledge about journalism. And um, so I came in and, and did software engineering and journalism all in one. And from there, mostly spent most of my time at, at Journal Constitution on the software engineering side. Um, but sort of always with that like journalism bent, like I knew my customer base really well because... I had done it in school and, and literally we were embedded in the newsroom. So like we had journalists coming over and asking us questions about like both how to use our content management system and sometimes how to use cell phones. Um, so, you know, it was, it was an interesting time. That's so cool. It blows my mind that there was an actual job that was half journalism, half like uh, content uh, manager. It was, it was a very interesting time in journalism uh, in 2003, 2004. Like, yeah, it was, it, I, I feel for like everybody trying to create, especially now thinking about it, like as an educator trying to create the curriculum, like they were like, um, we're going to teach a Dreamweaver. And I was like, I don't think this is the right thing to teach us, but okay, I guess. Like, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that it sounds like you went uh, you went viral there with your your job inquiry. I was going viral before viral was a thing. Yeah. I think it was before we had the term viral on the internet. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, so started in, in software engineering, sort of through 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 the journal through my journalism connections and um, at the Journal Constitution. Um, did I think at like 11 years between the Journal Constitution and Cox Media Group, I've spent more time working on content management systems than any one healthy human being should. <laughs> What's your CMS of choice, Chris? Believe it or not, me and uh, my architect there, we were talking about what now is a very popular thing, which is headless CMSs. Like we were like batting that around. We're like, you know what the problem is? Like we keep trying to like build this content management system to meet like everybody's like unique visual output like we should just build like we should just model the content and then it'll have an api and then you just like slap whatever ui you want on top of it and we didn't have the fancy term for it so like if only we'd had some vc backing nice you know? yeah ahead of your time yeah i know right well cool well what about um how did you get into platform product management specifically yeah good good question so um before i worked at pindrop i spent some time at an, another uh, atlanta um startup called cabbage they were doing um, their fintech, uh, recently acquired by Amex, and I joined there after I left Cox. Um, and they were working on a. Um, they had essentially a financial lending platform where, essentially, if you were like a small business, small medium business, you applied for small business lending. They would analyze your um, business bank account, and based on your sort of like spending and your inflow, they figure out what your credit worthiness was and then issue you a line of credit based on that. And they were looking to expand and they were building their own sort of like platform play. And I joined them as an engineering leader and I was building out a team. Um, the CTO at the time was trying to build out a, uh, build out a more platform 
play so that we could bring on uh, international companies. We're looking to sort of bring Cabbage's technology to their platform. So if you were like ING or Santander and you wanted to have this sort of product at your disposal um, and the team that I was working with was sort of building like our internal, I don't know what the right term for it is, but sort of like the internal tooling that would be used by like customer support, collections, um, uh, sort of like a casing tool, internal customer support tool. And so it had to have access to like all the customer tools, all the risk tools, all the like, essentially all the innards of the system, but also be able to take actions on it, open a case, close a case, um, you know, take a payment, revise your score up and down. Um, so it went in and out of all the systems. Um, and the idea was to sort of force some internal, uh, force some internal separation of concerns and build some more stronger APIs. Um, but then also like the, the tool, there was a tool that was in existence, but we wanted to build one that was purposely built with public APIs that we could vend both to ourselves to build a brand new user interface that would be much more consolidated and easier for our own cabbage owned and operated uh, teams to use. But also those APIs that we built for our own internal consumption could be vended to Santander and ING and all these international banking partners because they're going to use their own enterprise ERP uh, customer success tools. And they're like, just give us an API and we'll integrate it into our call center tools. That was essentially how I got into, a little bit of how I got into platform product management was I was building out this team. So I was hired as an engineering manager, started hiring my engineers. Uh, the uh, product management team um, there didn't have a ton of bandwidth at the time to really start helping me out. And I was like, well, who are my customers? And they're like, well, your customer success agents are upstairs and your collections agents are upstairs and to the left. And um, you know, the product team that's going to go talk to um, ING in Spain is flying out on whatever day. So we'll get you on a flight with them. And so I just went and talked to all my customers and tried to get an understanding of like, well, what is it that you need out of the platform from a technical standpoint? What is it you need out of the UI? What is it you need out of, you know, and like figure out what they need and try and prioritize, uh, you know, group it into a, a, a backlog of a, a, and, a, and a roadmap of what do they need and how do we build it? And then then put my EM hat on and and figure out what the architecture would be and what the API set would be and and go from there. Um, and uh, when when the time came when I when um, I was applying at Square, I, I I'd like to think that it was that story that at least got me past the phone interview screen when they were like, "This is why would we even interview this engineering manager guy for for a, a PM role at Square?" Because um, I had some experience and actually like dealing with customers and building out a backlog in a roadmap. Well, and you, so. you saw a problem and you went and solved it. And I always feel like that's the basis of product management, at least trying to solve the problems. Not that we always do. Yeah. Yeah. Step one, defining the problem and step two, like <laughs> taking steps to actually solve it. So nice. Yeah. It's a good story. Very cool. Yeah. So what do you like about uh, product management in general? <sighs> um, so, it, you know, I feel like it, it really lets you like, build and shape a product that, that like hopefully leaves a lasting and good impression on like your customers' lives and on the business. Um, I really enjoy the team sport nature of, I mean, I, I enjoy the team sport nature of product development in general. Like it was one of the things I liked about being on an engineering team, but on a PM, a PM role, even more so like 
you are, you are not an army of one. Like you have to work with an engineering team and a marketing team and a customer success team and design team. Um, to, and I personally get a kick out of going very, very wide. And so like, I feel like that PM role gets you an even, even more exposure to even more disciplines. All of a sudden you're like, you know, when, when you're on engineering, like you tend to have to go very deep into a topic. Um, uh, and, and in product, it's been nice to get more and more exposure to like, we're great. Now I'm talking, now I'm talking with sales and sales engineering and the various different subgroups within sales and partners and partner management. And, you know, like you just get a whole lot more exposure to various different parts of the business. And that, um, I think keeps things fresh. Um, so I think that's product management in general. Yeah, I definitely agree that product management seems to favor like generalists who like to go really wide and broad on a lot of things. But then I've also heard that platform product managers tend to be more specialists. So maybe tell me your thoughts. Like, uh, how did you be? Well, first, let's start with how did you get into platform product management at at Square, and what what drew you to that? Mm. Well, so I think that was sort of like half uh, kismet and and half. Um, like my background and skills. So half was, I think the role at the time, like I, I knew um, I had a friend at square and then I was, I was looking for a new, something new at the time. I had done engineering management for like 15 ish years at the time. And I was like, I got to do something new and different. I was just yeah. getting burned out. Um, he's like, Oh, well we're hiring, but we're not hiring for any engineering managers. I'm like, great. <laughs> That's exactly what I do not want to do. Or, you know, um, and, uh, and they said, we're hiring for product management. And I was like, well, worst case, I do the interview. And they say, you're awful. You should go take a short walk off a long <laughs> pier, a long walk off a short pier. Um, so, and and the role they were looking for at the time, they were looking um, at Square, the commerce platform team and the payments platform team. They were looking for like some of the first couple of like platform product manager roles at Square, uh, at least within those two teams. And so sort of like half just luck and kismet that, that there were these first couple of platform product management roles. And they were like, well, this guy's got background in engineering. He's got background in APIs. He's got a background in platforms. Um, so like it really was sort of like luck and opportunity, I think, at the time that that I ended up in in that role at Square. And, and I had the skill sets that sort of matched up. Um, and I think from there, you know, I think the, um, you know, I, I, I think, I've got like the, the, I think having that engineering background helps. And I think having, uh, you know, I, I want to say I'm like, wasn't just luck. I think once you get into it, you've got to be able to, like you have to have luck to get the opportunity. But from there, you've got to have um, like a real passion for like, um, uh, I think um, uh, I'm, I'm also a like lean Kanban agile coach nerd too. So I'm going to borrow from the, a phrase from sort of like, like that, thoughts here, but I think you have to have like a systems mindset approach to really be like a, a good platform um, PM. And, and that like, I, I don't know why, but that's the way my brain works. And so I think that really gelled with me. And so when I landed in that role, like it was just like, you know, um, I don't know what the turn of phrase is. It was like a duck in water, a fish in water to be like, okay, like I let's go map out all the systems that involve a payment at square. And like, I want to, I want to understand where every, every system, I, I don't even need to draw it out. Like it just exists in my head and I'm okay with that. And then I draw it out later, but like, let's just, I want to know where 
every piece of data flows throughout all of Square just to touch a piece of payment. Um, and then, uh, great, now I can figure out what, how we can make this all work and make a product and, and start to make more sense of this. And, and that um, nature of the role, like, like that's exciting. That's fun. That, that gets me going. I'm sure other people are listening to this right now and they're like, kill me now. So. No, I hope not. I think it sounds like fun as well. So Chris, how would you say a platform PM is, is different from a regular PM? Well, the word platform is in front of product <laughs> manager. That, that's, that, so that is a, a differentiator a PM, for sure. Let's see. see a, so it's platform product manager and then product manager. The, the, the key differentiator yeah. there is they have the word platform. I mean, really, I, I mean, I think we're all product managers. Like, I don't, I think sometimes we tend to make like, it's not like a fundamental, you know, hard walled distinction between the two groups. Um, like, like the fundamental set of skills that, that a product manager has, I think still apply whether you're platform or not. It really is about, um, uh, you know, I think in, in my talk, I tried to highlight a couple of areas where there's some differences, but it's more about the similarities and the differences, you know, like you're going to have different sets of customers. You're going to have some different interfaces, but like, if you go read um, like Marty Kagan's article on like the, the big risks uh, in, in, in product management, like those all apply to platforms and platform product management, like, go read any random article on product management and it almost always applies to um, a platform just as much as it does apply to a, a, a air quote regular product. Um, you know, I think it's more about sort of the specific skills or the specific mindset you've got to have um, uh, that you bring to it. Um, there, It's not that it's not, doesn't have to bring its own set of unique challenges, but it's not so much different that it's not like, you know, we speak in tongues. What about unique challenges to, to the job? Mm. You, you have, you're working with um, potentially different customers. You're working with different systems. Are there any challenges that that presents versus a product manager who can focus on maybe one thing and an end user? Customer? Yeah, I think if, you know, I think in general, like I said, I think that, there's more in common than there is different. I think where the differences are, are that, you know, I think a platform PM has to, I think some of the challenges are you've got to build, uh, you've got to build developer empathy. And that's not a skill that probably, you might have, you might not have had that experience in your past um, unless you've worked on a developer product. Um, so that's, Thinking about the usability of your documentation, ensuring that ensuring that you know and understand your customer flows, and then also thinking about your API, your documentation, your APIs, your SDKs, um, and that those are all those all cohesively work together. You know that is your whole product. That those all work together to make it easy for developers to then implement those customer flows. Um, so you have this sort of like one step removedness of like my customer needs to take a payment. My customer needs to take a bank payment. My customer needs to take a bank payment quickly. How do I, how does my documentation and my API and my SDK and my pricing and my marketing and my, you know, all the aspects that we have in our, our, our toolkit as a, as a PM um, 
or it's just it's a product org because it's not just me as a PM, but as a product org, how does how do we have all those um, how do all those pieces align and work? How do we make them all work together to um, make it so that the developer has an easy time to make those use cases for our customer um, and still build a, a great experience for our customer? It's a little bit of that giving up of that control of like the final end user experience because you're ultimately working on behalf of an application team that is itself building that customer, that final customer experience. So, yeah, you kind of mentioned like, uh, you know, external customers, internal customers, you know, developers. Uh, how, how do you go about even prioritizing the needs of, say, an end customer who's using a product built on your platform versus mm-hmm. maybe customers who are using a product directly or just people who are building on your platform? Because you have multiple types of customers. Yeah, and and this is one of the things I touched on a little bit in uh, in my talk. Um, I don't know. Can I can I plug my can I plug my site? Can I plug? Okay, so if you should you should uh, if you go to chrisheisel I've got the the talk in uh, in in a the talk notes are, are listed there. But I I go to a little bit more in depth there. But I think it you want to understand like who at your company for your product, um, uh, at least the product that your platform serves is your economic customer. Like who pays the bills? Like you hopefully get paid, your engineers get paid, your marketers get paid. Who's paying you? Um, Not like your boss, not who signs the check, but who actually puts money into the company that ends up on your paycheck. Um, So like the example I think I used was um, Amazon. So like a developer who builds on Amazon web services pays the bills. uh, I build a product on top of Amazon. Amazon bills me. Doesn't matter who the customer of my product is because I owe Amazon money at the end of the day. Um, uh, to pick a platform near you to my heart, build a product on top of Square's platform. Uh, the developer is not paying. The seller is going to pay for payments, right? So they pay a per a fee for every payment that that they run on top of the Square platform. So in that case, the person who's paying the bills for the platform is the seller. So part of your job as the the platform PM is sort of understanding like, well, who who is who's paying my bills, right? And and once you understand that and you have that 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 down, then figure out how your piece of the of the puzzle, your piece of the platform puzzle helps make that person's life better. Build a vision for how you can continue to make their life better and grow your product and make more and more of those people's lives better, make prioritization decisions along those lines. And then um, there's probably more people between you and that end buyer um, than, than just, it's probably not a direct relationship um, in platforms. It rarely is. Um, so there's probably other teams at your company. There might be other distributors. There could be, independent sales organizations, or it could be partner developer. I mean, you name it, there could be any number of middle, middle people between you and that, that end customer. So figure out where they are in the value chain. Um, and they're all stakeholders. Um, and you might, you know, they might be distributors, people who help get your product out to the, your, your economic buyer. They might be folks who add value to your product that make it even more valuable such that like, oh, well, without that, my product becomes less interesting to my economic buyer. So I want to keep them interested and working with me um, because otherwise my product becomes less less useful, but it's still standalone. 
Um, but make that value map, understand, are they a stakeholder? Are they a buyer? Are they a distributor? Are they a value add? And then go from there. I think that like, it's a little simplistic, but like that's, if you can, if you can make that value map and you can make those prioritization decisions and you understand that, um, a lot of the, like, are they an internal customer or an external customer? And it's like, they're, they're, they might not be a customer at all. Like they're not paying for, they're not paying you. Um, so they're not a customer or at least they're not a, they're not an economic buyer. Yeah. And while that, while that framework won't necessarily like answer all your questions around how to prioritize like different needs it, at a minimum, you should understand who all those people are and like what role they do play in your whole ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so important. And, and something that has, has driven me nuts in the past as a PM who's worked a lot of times with backend teams, I've had people tell me over and over, well, you don't really have a customer. And that's absolutely untrue. The customer is the customer. It is the person who's paying us. And yes, we may be several steps removed, but if we ever forget about the person who's paying, then we have, we've missed something. We have, we have made a mistake somewhere along the way. Yes. 100%. Like there's, we don't, we don't exist to service like the other department, like one, one, one set of desks over. We all exist for somebody outside the org to make their lives better. Yep. Something that is near and dear to my heart is sometimes you you make mistakes, you know, just as a PM in general, when you make a mistake as a platform PM, now you've got an API that's out there being used. How do you, how do you iterate on that uh, mm. when you, when you're running a platform? Well, I, I mean, as a PM, you never make a mistake. You have gained a new learning and we are pivoting based on our, no, <laughs> I mean, so you have accurate. to go through the, I guess it depends on like how big and how painful of a mistake was it? And the problem is usually by the time you figure out it was a painful mistake, it's also gotten so big that it's going to be really heinous to unwind. Yeah. It's very tough to fix it at that point. Like when you're, when you're, when you're like, I think this is a really awful mistake. It's usually like, it's so low in adoption and it's like, you're like, well, but how's this going to be a problem, Aaron? And you're like, well, it'll be a problem when we want to add this new feature. And they're like, that's like three years away, Aaron. And then it'll never happen. That'll never happen. Yeah. Like when will we want to add, we'll never want to go to like 20 new countries and add 16 new widgets to this whatever. And then three years later when they're like, we'd like to go to 40 countries and add 45 widgets. And you're like, I know it. I told them. <laughs> and I, admittedly, like let's let's have some empathy for for product managers and designers who have visual components. It is not like the easiest thing in the world either to change a visual or an auditory for those people who work on IVR um, interfaces. Either like, how many times have we logged on to Facebook or Instagram or Gmail or Google Meet and been like? God, to change the end. Go, oh, why'd you move the button over there? I mean, it's harder for me to click end meeting. Oh, just, uh. okay. So admittedly, we are more adaptable than code running on servers. So we have that going for us. We are far more adaptable than code. So I'll save some empathy for, for platform PMs, but I do want to, I do want to admittedly give a shout out to all of us who are like, oh, woe is us, us API PMs. We have it so hard. <laughs> um, so I want to give some empathy to all the folks with visual and auditory UI uh, interfaces. But um, 
but yeah, so I, to your question, like you've made a mistake, um, or you've learned, you've, you've gathered a learning that you, you broke up your, your concepts incorrectly. That is one of the things I find the hardest in, in platform PMing is especially when you've got like a really eager or like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a group PM lead. Like I've got a really eager PM is like, I've got this great concept. We really want to go, go, go. We want to go fast. We want to go fast. And I'm like, okay, but like, have you proven out like, like, have you, have you proven out like value risk? Cause like, and have you proven out like use case risk? Like, do you, this works for like this one use case? Would it work for like two or three or four other use cases? Like, have you, how have you stress test your interface to make sure that it will work? Not just for say one, again, I'm, I'm going to pick on my own world, but like in, you know, in payments processing, we talk about a lot about like a business uh, class. So like, okay, it works for like restaurants. How would it work for retail? How would it work for professional services? Um, like, can you prove, can you prove me out a couple different use cases to sort of stress test that this is not like a special purpose one-off API design? Um, because if you do make a special purpose one-off API design, then you haven't really solved the fundamental problem or you haven't found the fundamental problem, right? And if you haven't found the fundamental problem, then you're, then you're going to find yourself when, okay, well, I built it for restaurants and then retail is going to come along and they're going to ask for something that's like 20 degrees off from what I built and I'm going to go, Ooh, well, uh, I can kind of hack or glom on something and then retail is going to want something and it's like 20 more degrees off of that. And then you're going to go, oops, oh, now I found the fundamental problem and I really should have like, I should have built it this way instead of the way I did. And now, like you said, I now have a public API. It's out there. It's been used by, if you're lucky, it's been built on by thousands of people. It's wildly successful. Millions. Millions of people. It's generating billions in revenue. Congratulations. You have a wildly popular mistake. Take your money and go to Tahiti. I don't know. You, you bring up a really interesting concept of like value testing and stress testing before you've even like built anything. And this is what I think is one of the more challenging things uh, that, or, or really one of the more important things that you have to do that is challenging uh, as a platform PM. Do you have any frameworks or, or specific ways that you do evaluate these things mm-hmm. before you've built them or, or launched them and released them to the wild? Uh, good question. Um, my like number one pro tip is um, uh, documentation driven development, which is kind of like a, I'm bastardizing the term because it's like technically like write the documentation and then like write the actual implementation. But I'm going to steal it and use it the other way around. But like write the documentation, like write the actual like long form and the technical reference, like write the like three page document of like, hi, welcome to Chris Heisel's new platform. Here's how you use it to make widgets. First call, create widget, then call update widget, then call complete widget and show me all the arguments for how you use it. And then tell me why you'd want to use it. And then, Tell me how it makes your life better. It's kind of like, it's like the the Amazon um, press release FAQ, but like platform edition, you know, like, and then take that to take that first ticket to like a couple folks, take it to a couple other engineers in your org. Like this is like hallway usability for, for, for platform. Take a couple of engineers in your org who have no knowledge of your domain whatsoever. And be like, hey, if I asked you to solve problem, you think 
your your um, API or SDK is supposed to solve. Take a look at this. What questions do they have? What do they think? You know, are they like completely lost? Does it make sense to them? Like, essentially, it's 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 all usability testing. It's the same thing you would do with like, hey, take a look at this this UI, this visual UI. Does this make sense to you? Um, and then hopefully you as a PM have identified some potential launch partners who you're really hoping would use this actual API and you've got like technical contacts with them. Um, or you like, you know, could, can meet some people at a, you know, meet up and, and well, I'm using the four time terms, the four times, Humans would meet at coffee shops or restaurants and see each other in person, but you know, find these people and and share the documentation with them under friend DA or NDA and be like, what do you think? Like, would this work for you? Would this help you solve the use case that we were talking about earlier over the phone or over Google Meet? And um, and that's like a little bit, it's a little bit value testing, right? Because they're like, yes, yes, this solves my problem. B, it's usability testing, because they're like, Wait, why do I have to tell you the price in dollars when I really, really, really want it back in is in yen? Uh, it's weird. Uh, uh, you know, like, so you get a little bit of value testing, a little bit of usability testing, and it's relatively cheap. Like, it's you and some engineers. Like, you sit down, you write some words, you, you, you sort of design out the API in, like, in a Google Doc, and then, like, it's paper prototyping, essentially, for, for an API. Um, I think the like advanced course that I think is harder to get people to is like, then you go like build like an actual mock-up of it where it's all like super mocked out and they can actually do request responses and you get back like fake JSON, you put in fake JSON, you get back fake JSON. But I've never actually successfully convinced any engineer in my life to build it, myself included. And I like, I could sit down and build it myself, but I'm like, ah, it'll be faster just to build a real implementation you know, cue SpongeBob <laughs> meme, like six months later, <laughs> I've built the real implementation and I'm now I'm like, well, now I'm not going to change it because I've invested in building the real implementation. <laughs> now I've really got skid in the game. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, if you can convince, if you, if you make really good friends with your engineer or like, yeah. I don't know, man, like I, I gotta, I gotta see if I can master that skill myself, but um. That would be the illogical next step is go from paper prototype to like mm -hmm. low fidelity. But like, then you also have to convince, you know, the, the problem is I think you have to then convince another engineer, like a partner engineer to like write yeah, real code to against integrate you. against your mock. Yeah. And that's, and then they're like, why would I do that if it's not going to be yeah. ready? And I think that's why it falls apart is nobody's like, mm -hmm. yeah. Cause if you take it the logical, logical next step, you're like, well, dear partner can integrate against this like sandbox ish environment. And they're like, Oh, this works great. When will be ready? Oh, yeah. six months-ish. Ish. I still have to get funding approved. But if you tell me how much you love it, maybe it could be approved. Like, yeah. I think it's, I think it's why it's so hard to get to that middle tier. But at least the paper prototype is better than just go build it. So do you think that a platform PM needs to have uh, a tech background? Do they need to be uh, yeah. a developer? Do they need to know a lot about the technology? It's not legally binding, but, <laughs> you know. No, I don't, I don't think they need to be. I think sometimes that can lead to, like, sample size of one customer empathy. Like, well, I like this API, so everyone will. Like, I think it can lead to a lot of problems like that. 
uh, I say this from experience because I have I've been like I'm going to design this API, and then like my own edge team is like, "The hell did you do, Chris?" I'm like, "This makes total sense," and they're like, "No, it does not," <laughs> and I'm like, "It does to me. I love it." And thankfully, I'm like, "But you guys actually are real engineers, so let's change <laughs> it um, and like go talk to real customers too." So. Um, <laughs> Uh, I recognize my own weakness in that, in that regard. Um, so no, I know I don't think you have to be an engineer. I think, I think if you've you know worked with them a lot, I think that helps. I think if you have, you know, maybe like a if you've had a background in like data, or if you've like I said if you've done some architecture work, or you've worked on a lot of like architecturally challenging efforts, I think that helps. Awesome. Well, Chris, this has been a lot of really good information. I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us through this. No, thank you guys for having me on. I, I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity and I'm glad to glad to get to hang out with you guys. Excellent. Yeah, well, Chris, absolutely. it's been uh, wonderful talking to you tonight. Shalom. Arrivederci. Uh, aloha. I think that's I think that, I think I'm it. I don't have anything. I'm out. A Peter's name. Nice. We made it there. Ciao.